Well, today we come to the end of the book of Ruth. And as we do so, what we're going to find is that this story that began in tragedy ends with triumph. You'll recall as we began, Ruth had began with a famine and three funerals. But today we're going to see that it ends with a wedding and the birth of a baby. A baby that will not only reestablish the family line that looked like it might be lost, but a baby that is in the line of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. I invite you to look with me at Ruth chapter 4 as we begin reading uh, verses 13 through 16. It tells us, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Now, as the story comes to an end, we see that it ends with a happy ending. As Boaz takes this role of the redeemer, he marries Ruth. And then it says in verse 13, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. Now, in this one verse, we have a wedding, a honeymoon, a baby that's conceived, carried and born to reestablish a line that was lost. It would be very easy for us just to read that and blow past it. But I want you just to linger there for a moment. And I want you to remember the story that we've looked at in the past several weeks. I want you to think back over all that has happened in Ruth. I want you to remember that Ruth was first married to Mahalon. This was one of the sons of Elimelech. And remember that there was no child. There, Ruth was barren in that marriage, as was Orpah, as she was married to the other son. And, and now we're told that she's, she's married here. Elimelech, her two other sons have died. The line was possibly going to be lost. But suddenly there's a son. Now remember that this son came about through a marriage, a marriage that we didn't even know would take place. Because you had, you had Ruth and Naomi leaving Moab, returning to Bethlehem. The situation seemed hopeless. Here were two women that had no future much less the prospect of a husband and a son. And, and now we find that there was a husband that was found, a godly man by the name of Boaz. Now remember, Boaz is an older man. And given that he's advanced in, in age, and it wasn't the day where we have all the, the drugs that you see on TV today, he was an older man. You had a woman who was barren in her first marriage. The chances of a baby being born to this couple were very slim. They could have easily had trouble having a baby. Now, I know there are some couples that seem to just look at each other and boom, there's a baby. And we don't think much about it, but there are others that struggle to have children. My wife and I know that. I've shared with you part of our story is that we went through 12 years of infertility. It looked like we would never be able to have children. The doctors told us that, that barring a, a miracle of God, there would be no children in our life. And then God, through his grace, 12 years into our marriage, blessed us with our first miracle baby, Sarah. And then two additional children. The baby that Boaz and Ruth has here is another miracle baby. The odds were against them. Now, as I talk about miracle babies, the reality is every child is a miracle from God. Every baby is an amazing miracle. Psalm 127.3 tells us that children are a gift from the Lord. And that includes all children, whether they come after years of waiting like happened with my wife and I for our daughter, Sarah, or if they came easily the first time that maybe you tried. Sometimes couples aren't even trying to have children and they come along. And I want to remind you that those babies are miracles as well. 
Those babies are also blessings from God. And there are sometimes that couples or individuals don't really want those children. And if you find yourself in one of those situations with a, an unwanted pregnancy like this, I'll remind you that there are many couples that are waiting to adopt children. My wife and I tried to adopt, and, and God closed all those doors while we waited. And I know of couples here at Wayside today that are waiting to adopt. So if you find yourself in a situation where you have an unwanted pregnancy and are wondering what to do with that child, please come and speak with me because I know families that would love to be blessed by your child if you will choose the loving adoption the loving option of adoption. In verse 17, we find that it says, And Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. And the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now what we find here is really a formal adoption that is being done. The child is placed in Naomi's lap. And as this happens, they say that this is your son, the word can also refer to a descendant, but what it's doing is showing that this is the one who would carry on the family line. Elimelech and the boys are gone, but this boy will be the one to carry the name forward. Now, typically, it's the mother and father who name the baby, but here it appears in the excitement of the moment that the townswomen, as they come and they say, here he is, here's the baby, his name is Obed. The name means servant. The name means worshiper. And whether they had heard the name from Naomi or Ruth and Boaz earlier, or whether they spontaneously named the child this, we see that it's a name that sticks. It's a name that, that fits as well because it shows God's great grace. And it would cause them and others to worship. And as we're looking at this, this scene for a moment, I want you to think about Naomi. This grandmother sitting there. Filled with joy as her arms are filled with this baby. It's quite a change from chapter 1, isn't it? Do you remember the Naomi of chapter 1? The one who said, do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant, but call me bitter. Call me Mara. Because the Lord has brought me back empty. The Almighty has been against me. And now those empty arms that were so heavy are filled. Filled with the joy of a child. And as you think about Naomi, uh, think of the women as well that are surrounding her. Because these are women that we saw as well from chapter 1. These are the women who surrounded Naomi in her moment of bitterness. They were the ones who were there to support her, to encourage her. And here they are to share in the joy as well. You know, Romans twelve fifteen tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. And I wonder if that describes us today. Are we those who are friends that are there in the times not only of great joy, but also in the times of brokenness and bitterness? Do we rejoice with those who are rejoicing and do we weep with those who weep? You know, when I read that verse in Romans for the first couple of times, I thought, well, of course people are going to do that. Who, who wouldn't rejoice with those who rejoice and, and weep with those who weep? But, you know, sometimes it's hard to do, isn't it? Now, we, we can say, you know, it's pretty easy to show empathy to somebody who's hurting, to hold somebody's hand or to stand with them in, in a time of pain or loss and cry. But what about those times of joy? Are we good at rejoicing with those who rejoice? I'll tell you that when my wife and I were waiting for God to give us a child, there, there were couples that I would marry as a pastor. I would, I would get a young couple who would come and say, would you marry us? And I would perform the wedding. 
And then this young couple would come later and say, Pastor Roger, we're pregnant. And then eventually they would have a child that was born and they'd say, would you dedicate our baby? And I would stand on the platform in front of the congregation and I would hold this little boy or girl in my arms and I would thank God for the blessing of this child, for for giving to this family. And my wife and I were still waiting. And sometimes these young couples would come with a second child and still we were waiting. And I was teaching a young married Sunday school class. And my wife and I, as we started out, we were just like everybody in there, brand new, uh, no kids. And then three to five years in, many of the couples had their first child. About six, seven years in, many were on their second, sometimes third baby. And my wife and I were still waiting for one. And I'll tell you that we truly rejoiced with those that God was blessing with children. But it was, it was hard sometimes. On Mother's Day, when we'd look around the first church we pastored and realized that my wife was the only married woman in the entire church who didn't have a child. Do we rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep? It's hard to do sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes it's the same for those who are single. They've been waiting and praying for a godly spouse and And their friends keep getting married and asking them, will you be a bridesmaid or a groomsman? And they're on their second or third wedding, and they're still waiting for their wedding. Sometimes it's somebody who's been passed over for a promotion at work, and it's your your cubicle neighbor who ends up getting the promotion. Or you've been struggling in your business, and, and a friend's business is being very successful. You're working really hard in school, and it's your friends who are making the honor roll while you're struggling to get by, or you worked really hard for that place on a team and and somebody else got the spot that you were trying for. Do we rejoice with those who rejoice? It can be hard. It can be hard to do those things. But in this case, we see there's no problem for these women to rejoice because this is something they prayed for. Do you remember that? This is something these women have asked God to do. So now they, they congratulate the proud grandmother and they give glory to God for, for the answer to the prayer. They say, blessed is the Lord. They use the covenant name Yahweh, all capital letters there. The Lord who has not left you without a redeemer. The God who said he would be faithful. The one who would fulfill his promises has brought a redeemer. They use the word goel for redeemer. This is a word that we've seen throughout this book and have come to know so well. Now, as they use this word goel here, I want you to notice that they're not referring to Boaz at this point, but now they're pointing to Obed. They're pointing to this little baby and they're saying this will be the one to carry on the family line. They go on to say in verse 15, may he be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you is better to you than seven sons. They say Ruth has given birth to him. Now this is the last of the many prayers we've seen in the book of Ruth. And just as the other ones have been answered, this one will no doubt be answered as well. What they pray here is, may he feed your gray hairs. That's a literal translation of their prayer. Isn't that neat? May this baby feed your gray hairs. Now, as they, they ask this, it's not just a reference to the food, to the shelter, to the physical provision that this son would provide as he grows into a, a young man and then a man and, and carries on caring for Naomi. But it's also one that refers to the pleasure that this grandson will, will give to her in her old age. 
Have you ever seen how a grandparent lights up around a grandbaby? You know, you as an adult son or daughter can walk into the room and they scowl at you, right? (laughs) I see y'all smiling out there. But then the baby comes into the room and what happens? You start babbling, you start, and you're on the floor crawling around with the baby and, and everybody's looking and you can see the joy that comes in into the life. And this is Naomi. They're saying, may this baby bring joy to you. May he restore to you the famine, so to speak, in your life. Now, now, as Naomi is there, you can picture her just, you know, give me, give me the baby. She's so excited that this baby's about to be placed in her arms. But what do the women say to her? They, they, they say, Naomi, stop a minute. I want you to realize the true blessing in your life. You see, Naomi, it's, it's not this baby boy. What do they tell her is a great blessing in her life? They say, your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons. You see, seven sons was the pinnacle of God's blessing. Seven is the number of perfection in the scriptures. And a son was seen as, as, as a great blessing. We've already talked about why a son was so important. The property rights, the, the legal protection, the provision, all these things. But what they say is, you have the pinnacle of blessing, not in this baby boy, but in your daughter-in-law, Ruth. The one that in chapter 1, as you stood there bitter on the street and you said to the women, call me bitter because I have nothing. And we talked there in chapter 1 in verses 19 and 22 about Ruth. Remember how she would have felt standing there? Ruth, who was just referred to as nothing. This foreigner on the fringe who's left her home and her family and everything and has come back to be there with Naomi in Bethlehem. And what the ladies say is, Naomi, do you recognize the greatest blessing that you've had has been with you all along? God's provision, God's hand of blessing has been through this woman. As we think about that, I I, I wonder how many of us need to have that reminder today just to stop right now and look at how blessed we are. How many of us go through life focused so much on the future and what we want, or, or in the present, what we don't have that we miss all that we already do have. Do you ever stop and look back at the past and say, look at how God has been faithful to me. All that God has provided in my past, all that God has given to me in the present. Or are we those who are just so focused on what we don't have yet that we're missing? We're missing the blessings that God has given to us. You know, there was a, a farmer that was constantly complaining about his property and all the work that he had to do on this land. And, and one of his fellow farmers grew tired of hearing this man complain about his land and the work and everything all the time. And he said, look, why don't you just put an ad in the paper? Why don't you just sell the farm, sell everything and walk away from it so you can be happy. Just take the money and go do whatever it is you've always wanted to do. And this farmer thought, well, that's a great idea. So he went home and he wrote out an ad. Farm for sale. 500 acres of the richest soil around. You can grow anything on it. Beautiful groves, wonderful meadows, plenty of water and stock ponds. On and on he went describing the land, and he puts it in the paper. 
Well, the next day the paper came out and people read the ad and suddenly the phone started ringing. In fact, there was a man who called first thing in the morning and he said, uh, I saw the ad in the paper and I'm really interested in the property. I think I want to buy it. I, I want to come out today to look at the land. And the farmer said, okay, come on out. And as soon as he hung up the phone, he, he thought about why would this man want the land so badly? So he picked up the paper and he read his ad. And as soon as he read his ad, he picked up the phone, he called this man back, and he said, don't bother coming, the farm's no longer available. Then he called the editor of the paper, and he said, I want you to take the ad out of the paper. And the guy said, wow, that was fast. Did it sell already? And the farmer said, no, I was just rereading the ad, and I realized it was the piece of property I've always wanted. (laughs) You know, that farmer was lucky. He realized what he had before he lost it. Friends, how many of us realize how blessed we are right now? Are we in danger of losing or missing the blessings that we already have? You know, as you look at your life today, what is it that you may be missing? What is it that you're in danger of overlooking or maybe even losing? Maybe it's your marriage. Have you ever felt discontent with your spouse or said, you know, I deserve better? And as you're thinking about that, you know, there is no marriage where it's perfect. There's always room for improvement. There are no perfect people, friends. That includes us. I want to remind you of that. And I wonder if you've ever stopped to think about all the mistakes of your own that you minimize or all of the great qualities in your spouse that you overlook. Because, again, we're focused on what's missing or what we're discontent with rather than looking at all that we've been blessed with. You know, if you get out there on the open market, you might find that your stock's not as high as you thought it would be. (laughs) And you might miss the blessings you already have. Now, maybe your area of discontent is with work. Have you ever stopped to think about all the blessings that come with your job? Now, I know maybe you've said, well, I can make more money somewhere else. But have you ever stopped to look at the benefits package that is at your current job and whether it outweighs that additional salary you could have if you were out on your own or on commission or other things? Or what about the longevity that comes with your job? The security that you have because of seniority or the extended vacation or the other benefits that come? You know, sometimes the problem with work is that we're pursuing things that are really not that important. Sometimes we work really hard to climb the ladder only to find the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. Other times what we do is we pursue, you know, earning more and more wealth. And I meet a lot of people who later in life spend all their wealth trying to get their health back. That they sacrifice because of their job. Or sometimes parents spend long hours at at their job trying to get more and more money to give their kids everything that they never had only to have their children say, Mom and Dad, what we really would like is a little more time with you. Less money and more mommy or less dollars and more daddy. Are we pursuing or looking at the wrong things? Take some time this week just to look at your life and and see all that you've been blessed with. Don't be like Naomi and miss the blessings that are in your life. And friends, I'll remind you the greatest blessing any of us could ever have is that of God's son, Jesus Christ. And what he's given to us already While you're looking at the gifts that God has given to you, don't miss that one. 
Now here, having been reminded of the blessing she had overlooked, Naomi is then given the baby in verse 16. It says, Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. Now, as she takes the baby here, we find the same root word, the same Hebrew word that was used in Ruth 1.5, except this time it's in the singular form. If you look back at Ruth 1.5, it's talking about her sons in the plural form, and it says she was bereft. She lost her boys. But here she's been given her boy to replace him. Now, no child can replace those that are lost. But what it's saying is God has replaced the line. He's continuing He's holding, she's holding this son, and as she places the boy on her lap, she's doing what Rachel did in Genesis 30, leaving no doubt that this is the one who would replace the sons who were lost, the one who would be named and carry on the family line. This is why the women say in verse 17, a son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now I mentioned the name Obed means servant and worshiper. This little baby becomes a servant to Naomi. He becomes one who not only causes worship in her life and that of the whole town, but as you think about this little boy, his life was probably one that matched his name. He was one who worshiped the true God, the living God, Jehovah, Yahweh. This is a baby who not only had a godly grandmother, but had a, a father and a mother who followed and worshiped God those who modeled for him what it meant to know God, to love God, to follow him. For those of you who are parents or grandparents, what are your kids and grandkids learning from you? Do they learn to be a worshiper, a follower of the true God by watching you and what you do? As parents, we have the ability to to lay a foundation that will affect not just your own children, but even the generations that will follow A number of years ago, there was a study done by a team of New York State sociologists. And what they did was they looked at two different family lines from the same period of time. One of the lines that they studied was that of Jonathan Edwards. Now, Jonathan Edwards was the great uh, pastor and preacher of the past. And the other line was that of Max Jukes. Max Jukes was reported to be an unbeliever and a man of no principles who married a woman of like character. And as they looked at all the known descendants that came out of the Jukes family line, what they found is 310 of them were professional vagrants. 440 were physically wrecked, had lives that had been wrecked by debauchery and uncleanliness. 130 were sent to the penitentiary for an average of 13 years each. Seven of them were murderers. There were 100 alcoholics who had been institutionalized. 60 were habitual thieves. 128 were public prostitutes. Of the 20 that they could find who had learned to trade, 10 of them did so in the state penitentiary. As they looked at all the known descendants, not one of them made a significant contribution to society. On the contrary, they collectively found the state of New York had paid over a million and a quarter dollars, and that was, that was back before the turn of the century in the 1800s. They had been a drain on society. Now, what about the other line, that of Jonathan Edwards? He came from a good Christian family, and he married a girl of like character. Among their descendants, 300 became ministers, missionaries, or theological professors. 
Many had success in business, including several becoming giants in American industry. There were 13 university professors, 65 college professors, three United States senators, 30 judges, 100 lawyers, 60 physicians, and 75 Army and Navy officers. There were 60 authors of prominence. There were governors of states, ministers of foreign countries, as well as one vice president of the United States, Aaron Burr. Two men who lived at the same time. Two men who birthed lines and left legacies. What made the difference? The foundation of faith. The passing on of the the principles of Scripture. The passing on of the legacy of what it means to know and love the Lord. As you look at your life today, what type of legacy are you laying the foundation for? You know, even if you don't have children in your home right now, you can still impact future generations. Whether or not your children are grown and gone, whether or not you're somebody who ever had children on your own, you can still impact future generations. You can be a man or a woman who can impact lives through your involvement in the lives of young children. You can do that through our children's ministry as you serve in the Sunday school and and the programs that we have here, Midweek, Awana, and other programs. You can do it as you influence students in the high school and junior high ministry. Now, maybe you're somebody sitting here saying, well, Roger, I'm, I'm not even an adult yet. I mean, what can I do? Do you know that you can impact the lives of young children as well? My, my kids are at a stage where when they get around older teenagers, they, they think they hung the moon. As a young person, you can impact younger kids. If you're somebody who's, who's a, a young single or a college student, the same thing happens with those who are in junior high and high school. Just being a few years ahead of somebody, they, they understand that you can, you can understand them and their culture, and yet you have the ability to impact. So you look at your life today, what are you doing? Are you impacting the next generation for the cause of Christ? Are we those who are teaching others to be obits, servants of God, worshipers of God? You know, sometimes we like to say, do as I say, not as I do. But may I remind you that more is caught than taught. Abraham Lincoln said that there is just one way to raise up a child in the way he should go. And that is to go that way yourself to provide that living example, to show the way. As you look at your life today, what are you doing? How are you showing it? We have hundreds at Wayside who are involved in the Colonial Hills Initiative that we have up the street. In elementary school, many of these kids come from single-parent homes that come out of broken situations. And we have hundreds who are prayer supporters, mentors that are in the schools teaching, part of the after-school Bible club, where each year we see over 30 kids come to Christ in a public school setting. So I know many of you are doing this. Many of you are stepping into that role. Verse 17 tells us Obed had a son, and his own son was named Jesse. And Jesse had a son who was named David, the one who became the second king in Israel. And to David was born Solomon, the next king of Israel, as well as being the one who was called the wisest man who ever lived. Now, as you look at verse 18, you see the genealogy listed there doesn't move forward to Solomon, but instead it goes backward to Perez. Do you remember Perez? We talked about uh, he came out of the line of Judah and Tamar. 
And is the reason that the line goes backwards here is because what we see in verse 18, it says, now these are the generations of Perez, and then we find that list of names. What Ruth is doing here is taking us backwards in the family tree. And the reason for that is because the family tree needs to be tied to the line of Judah, to the line of David. And the reason for that is because as we look at the family tree, it ultimately will lead to Jesus Christ. And so what the writer of Ruth is doing here is establishing the line to show not just that this little boy would be in the line of the King David, but in the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. As you look at verses 18 through 22, the the genealogy has 10 generations listed to David. Now, if you read the book of Chronicles or other genealogical passages in the Bible, you'll find there are additional names in the line. Whenever you read a genealogy in the scripture, it's not always a complete line. What they do is they pick and choose key markers along the way. And what is being chosen here, the reason that there are 10 names is because there was a scholar by the name of Malamot, and he studied ancient royal genealogies, and he found that in all the significant king lists, there were always a, uh, listed 10 generations. And so what we find here is the ancient genealogy of the king of kings, establishing this to get to Jesus. And is something else Malamud found out is that the seventh spot was always reserved for the person of greatest significance. Do you know who's in the seventh spot in the genealogy? It's Boaz. You know, we've talked about how God honored the, the sacrifice that this man made many ways. Well, here, once again, God gives a special place of significance to Boaz to raise and honor him up again for being the one who was willing to step into this role of Goel. Now, as you look at the names that are here, the son who was born to Ruth became the father of Jesse, who became the father of David, who became the king of Israel. And as you read that genealogy, I want to remind you, Ruth takes place during the days of the judges. Do you remember that? And when we went through the book of Judges, do you remember what it said about Judges, about that time in which they lived. It said in Judges 17.6 and Judges 21.25, in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is the dark backdrop against the book of Ruth. This is the time of lawlessness, the time of people forgetting God and dishonoring him and walking away. There was no king in Israel and yet here in the darkest moment of Israel's history, we find that God was at work. Raising up not just a king, an earthly king, David, but more importantly, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, who would come. If you look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 6, you can flip over there because there you find this genealogy continued. And in Matthew 1, 6, it tells us this. And to Jesse was born David the king, and to David was born Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. And to Solomon was born Rehoboam. And the line continues until you come to verse 16. And it says, And to Jacob was born Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Now, the word Christ is in his last name. The word Christ is the title that means Messiah. And what we're being told here is that Jesus, the great Goel that God sent to redeem us, The one who would come to pay the penalty of sin. The one who would shed his blood to wash away our sins. 
the one who was a part of the family line of Mary. Now, normally, the line was tied through the man. Now, Joseph, who was the stand-in and the stepfather, was not the biological line. God brought his son about through a miraculous intervention of the Holy Spirit with Mary, who was of the physical line of Judah. That was what was prophesied, that the line of David would produce the coming Messiah, the coming king. And so they had to establish the bloodline. And as you look at this, this amazing line, what we see is God's mercy and grace throughout the entire line. Because as you look at who's included, in addition to Mary, there are four other women mentioned in the genealogy. Let me just highlight something about each of those women. Three of them are Gentiles, and all of them are tainted in their past. There's Tamar, the Canaanite, who we talked about last time. Do you remember how she had to use trickery to pretend to be a prostitute to get Judah to step in and perform the role of the Leverite to raise up the son, Perez, that would come? And then there was Rahab, Rahab the harlot, the great-grandmother of Boaz, another foreign prostitute who was brought into the nation of Israel because of her belief in the true God. And then there was Ruth, Ruth the Moabitess. Now, she was a worthy woman, as we've seen, but she was still a Moabite. And do you remember how we talked about early on in Genesis 19, how the Moabite line came from an incestuous relationship between Lot and one of his daughters? Moab means from my father. Do you see the women, these tainted, broken people who are in there? And then there's Bathsheba. Do you notice she's called the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Do you remember how the marriage of David and Bathsheba came about? David the king looked lustfully and went and took her, committed adultery. And then when she was found to be pregnant, David had Uriah, his right-hand man, killed, as well as other soldiers in battle to try to cover his sin. Now the child born out of that relationship died. But the next son born was Solomon who would become the greatest king in the line of Israel. But what God is reminding us here is even though there was forgiveness, there was still that broken part of her past. It's not the women who are tainted only, but also are the men. The good ones like Boaz are far outnumbered by those with questionable pasts. And as we look at this line of that God used, it's full of foreigners, prostitutes, adulterers, murderers, showing the amazing grace of God. Friends, grace, it's available to you and me today. Because Romans 5, 8 tells us that God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As you look at your life today, if, if you're saying, you know, Roger, I'm not worthy to be included in the bloodline of Jesus Christ, you're right. None of us are. Romans 3.10 tells us there is none righteous, no, not one. Not a single one of us deserves to be in the bloodline of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And yet we are told that we can be in the family of God through the blood of the Goel, Jesus Christ. Through the blood of the Redeemer who was shed to save us from our sins. John 1.12 tells us, But as many as received him, that is Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Friends, if you're here today and you've never come to faith in Jesus, what's keeping you from taking that step? 
Is it because you feel unworthy? Is it because you feel that God would, would never let somebody like you into the family? Friends, his great grace that was available in the past is available to you today. He tells us that he died for us while we were still sinners, while we were far from God, while we were in rebellion, while we were outside, God sent his son to take our place to pay the penalty that he did not owe, to close the account, to cover the wages of sin, which was death so that we could have the free gift of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our great Goel. If you're here today and you've never taken that step of faith, Romans 10, 9 tells us, if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. If you're here today, what God says is all you have to do is acknowledge that you are a sinner that you were far from God, that you've made mistakes, that you've, you've done things that have separated you from God. But today you're saying to God, God, I want to come home. God, I want to be adopted into the family. I want to be made a son or a daughter. And so I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning to you, Jesus, to be my savior. I believe that you came and you died on the cross. You shed your blood to wash away my sins. And I believe that after you were buried in the tomb, you rose from the dead three days later, showing you were indeed who you said. You were the God-man, Jesus Christ, the one who had flesh and blood, but the one who had eternity as God. And you came and you took on flesh and blood. Why? So you could take my place. Friends, if you will confess that, if you will say you believe that and truly believe that in your heart and mind, God says you will be saved. You will be made a part of the family of God. And for the rest of us here who have taken that step of faith in the past, what God calls on us to remember today is the great blessing that we've had through his son and to be those who are obits, to be servants and worshipers of the true God. Will you join me please as we close in prayer? Lord God, we thank you for the book of Ruth. We thank you for this wonderful story of redemption that reminds us in the chaos of the times when things were dark and people were far from you, when it looked like the world was falling apart, you were not asleep at the wheel, but you were at work. You were raising up the line that would produce not just the earthly king, but more importantly, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, the one who would become our savior, the one who was sent to take my place to pay that penalty of sin that we owed. Lord God, we thank you for our Redeemer. We thank you, Lord, for your reminder to us that you know us, that in the midst of all the people living on the earth at that time, you saw two women, two widows, who were forgotten, who were fearful about the future, and yet, Lord, you knew their needs, and you moved in ways to meet their needs. And I, I pray, Father, for those who are here today that are feeling forgotten, for those that are feeling far from you, that today they would know that you know them. You know their needs. You know their story. And Father, you have the solution. Lord, as we look at the book of Ruth, we, we see how it ends. That it ends with the great Redeemer coming. And Father, the question for us this morning is how will our story end? Will we be those who humble ourselves and come to you? 
Will we be those who come home and become a part of the family of God? All it takes now, Lord, is, is our willingness to turn to you. So, Jesus, we thank you for taking our place. We thank you for paying the price to redeem us. And, Lord, for those of us who have come to faith in you, may we leave here today reminded that our role is to be Obed's worshipers and servants of you. So we thank you, Jesus, for your great love for us. May we show it to you in turn. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You see, there are prayer leaders at the front. If you're here today and you just prayed to receive the Lord or you want to know a little bit more, any one of these men or women can help you. If you have a need in your life, they're also here to pray with you. Thank you for being here. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. You're just 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 love and serve the Lord. You're